you're looking for the book of Jude, it's right near the end of the Bible, just before Revelation. If you keep flipping back from the beginning of Revelation, you're going to get to Jude pretty quick. As we dig into God's word this morning together, let's pray for God's presence and blessing on our time of learning and growing. Father, meet us in your word. As we hear the words of our brother Jude, Lord, may we seek that strength that he calls us to, that you call us to, to contend for the faith. That we would be willing to stand in your promises as we sang about. That we would be willing to live into your promises even when there are other things around that seek to take us away from you. And Lord, we know we live in a world that wants to do that. There are so many things that can be a distraction, especially this time of year. We know the busyness of beginning school and beginning other things that are going on in our lives. We know that there's, this is a time of transition and we get so consumed by some of those things that we miss you, Father, and how you are speaking to our hearts and our lives. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we can be strengthened through the power of your word this morning. Be challenged, be encouraged, be moved to wonder, Lord, where it is that you're calling us to be faithful and how it is that we can contend as a part of your church for the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to begin by reading the first three verses of Jude. It says these words there. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I feel compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So right at the beginning... You see that Jude is saying to the people who are receiving his letter, I wanted to share this with you. I wanted to talk to you about salvation and the beauty of the gift of salvation that you know in Jesus Christ. But instead, because of this more pressing matter, I need to talk with you about contending for the faith. Now, a question is, who is Jude? And there is some lack of clarity here on who Jude is and um, how he would be connected to the church. Um, But the popular reading of this is Jude is actually Jesus' half-brother. At least that's historically one of the readings that we have for him. It's very possible that Joseph had another child that was not with Mary. It's possible. And so as they read through history and as they look at who, who was who and where and what, because we don't know much about who Joseph was and about the rest of his family besides who Mary was, it's hard to tell exactly who Jude is. He could certainly be someone disconnected completely from the family. So don't get too caught up in who Jude is in terms of his lineage. But you do need to know this. Jude is intelligent, highly intelligent. And he's very well read. How do we know this? Because Jude obviously has Jewish tradition in his life. Whether or not as a Jew, we don't know. It certainly is a fair expectation that he is Jewish. Because as you see towards the end of the letter, he makes multiple references to Old Testament personages who people are a part of the the history of Israel. Not only that, but he actually quotes, and this is something that most of you who who don't read um, some of the more historical writings, he's actually read and he quotes other writings, what we call 
call apocryphal writings, meaning that these writings were books or letters or other documents that were written for the benefit of the church very early on in the life of the early church. However, they was decided over the course of history, it took about three or four hundred years, for them to decide that it wasn't going to be a part of the canon. A canon is not a weapon in this case. The canon is all the books of the Bible put together into what the Bible is that we have it. So Jude has read a whole series of writing. He's read the canon, the books of the Bible that we know, the Old Testament connected to his Jewish tradition. And he's also read some other writings. So he's a smart guy, which is absolutely appropriate considering the type of thing that he's wanting the believers he's writing to to contend against. We're going to figure out what that is and who these people are right now, beginning at verse 4. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, those he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer suffer the punishment of eternal life. Notice Jude is referencing Old Testament stuff. He knows the Old Testament stuff. And remember, the Old Testament is not something that is completely available to all people. Writing things on paper or parchment or vellum were very expensive and time-consuming to write. So for him to tell the story means that he's heard it, knows it, and he's trying to communicate that to his listeners. And you also notice who he's talking about. He's talking about those who live in sexual immorality and perversion. That's important. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand and the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational Irrational animals do will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feast. Eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain. Blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. Twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the un, all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These people are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. There's a big description there. 
And one of the challenges that you might look there and say, what really are these people doing? What is it that they understand that is such a problem? Now certainly they're living into sexual immorality and perversion. We hear Jude do that. But why? And this, for this, I need to give you a little bit of an understanding of a group of people that were alive and well in this, in, in this part of the world at this time and in fact are, continue to be alive and well today. They're called the Gnostics. Anyone heard that term before? Gnostics. Okay, some of you have. It's spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Gnostics. It's Gnosticism. Now, if you know anything about Greek, then you will hear the word gnosis, which would mean what? Anyone? Knowledge. Well done. Impressive. Good job. You get an A on your spelling bee. It means knowledge. And Gnosticism is this idea of having special knowledge. And I'm not going to go into all this heavy-duty stuff. There's lots of words that I... There's things about celestial beings. There's a play-roma discussion that we could have. We could talk about all this, this stuff, but I'm not going to. I want to talk about the basics that they have, that, that, that Gnostics believe that if you have special knowledge about the unknowable one, that's the high God, that's the head God, if you have special knowledge about the unknowable one, then you are okay. And that special knowledge is the most important thing because creation, meaning all matter, all flesh, is created by a lower God and therefore not of value. So, spiritual and no, spirit, the spirit and knowledge, high value, important, need to be focused and concentrated on. The body, flesh, matter, not important, doesn't really matter. Here's the implication. If this is the important stuff, then getting knowledge right and getting understanding right is something that you work towards. But when it comes to the body and the flesh, it don't matter. Meaning, do whatever you want. You can live however you want to live. This part doesn't matter. Your flesh doesn't matter. It's not part of what saves you. Knowledge is what saves you. The special knowledge only given to a very few. And here, you can be drunk, doesn't matter. You can live in a sexual perversion, doesn't matter. You can live however it is that you would want and there's absolutely no implications for the present nor the future because the future is based solely upon you having special knowledge. And the Gnostics would have even said because they put their Gnosticism together with Christianity and said, knowing Jesus is part of that special knowledge. But still, my body doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. So when you hear them living into inappropriate behavior at love feasts, gorging themselves on food, living into sexual perversion, Jude is naming that as this horrible thing that's being, it's infiltrating into the church. And he's recognizing that it needs to be, his word, contended against. It needs to be fought against. It needs to be lived besides. Because imagine, 
this, how this goes. If you have a group of people, let's say we were having some sort of, um, I don't know, legacy nights dinner, right? And everyone were there. And there were a group of people who were a part of our community who said, oh, my body doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want and I can eat all the food and it doesn't matter if you have food. And I can, I can do whatever I want with my body and share that around the table. You can imagine that a person who maybe is new to our community or new to the faith would be taken away by something that really isn't true and in fact what we would call a heresy. It's an untrue teaching of who God is. And here's the thing, friends. Although Gnosticism was alive and well there and it's come at different points in history, you can see it in different places, I would even say that it's still alive and well in our church and in the community. Because there are times that we think, oh, if we have this special knowledge, this makes us a better Christian. It's even some of those things where, you know, there's, there's, there's people, and I can remember this from way back in history, if you don't know your catechism, are you really a good Christian? Remember those days? That if you didn't worship in a certain way, if you didn't go to church twice on Sunday, then you weren't a real Christian. There's so many of these understandings. In fact, even in Christian circles, we use a certain phrase, right? It's better to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. Anyone use that phrase? Jim, you have. I heard you use it this week. I have. Because it's that idea that the flesh, even if there is something that's more important than me doing what is right, I can do that and ask for forgiveness because really this doesn't matter. It's a dangerous idea when we have this idea that it's a special knowledge that gives us, here's what happens, a license to abuse grace. And that's all over the place. We think, there are people who think you can get drunk. There are people who think that you can, you know, you can live into pornography or other horrible behaviors that certainly hurt and harm your Christian testimony and walk with God. And yet, God's grace is sufficient. Praise God, that's right. But is that how we are supposed to live and called to live? We are instead called to contend against that sort of belief and understanding because God has given us all things, now calls us to live a life of gratitude to say thank you in obedience to him as opposed to abusing the gift of his grace. Jude continues, verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow more natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To, show, to others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And Jude acknowledges that there will be people who scoff at the things of Christ. But notice he does not call believers to fight them. 
He says, contend for the faith. Not fight the other unbelievers or fight the heretics or fight those who don't think like you do. Instead, he says these words there. He says, dear friends, but you dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So you, cannot, you and I can do something. We can make a choice on how we deal with the world around us and how it views Christianity and our faith. We can focus on those who, uh, you know, that persecute the church or say things against the church or laugh at our faith. We can do that and focus on them and try to have the debates and seek apologetic arguments with them and try to say, show them the, 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 how they're wrong. And, and there may be value there. There may be power there. But what Jude is saying is don't focus so, so much on them. Instead, focus on who God is in your life. And follow him, pray in the spirit, be merciful to others, live into who Christ is in you. And that becomes the powerful testimony that allows your faith to contend against those who disagree with it. See, I got to be honest, when I see on Facebook the Christian arguments... When I see people in comment sections going back and forth over, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're seeing this wrong, you're saying that wrong, that's not the way it is, that's, and then quoting Bible verses sometimes out of nowhere. It makes me nuts. Because that, that really, how constructive is that? Has anyone ever had their life transformed by a Facebook comment in the response section of an article? Has anyone? I'm going to tell you, probably not. God is a God of miracles. That would be pretty high on the list. Instead, lives are transformed when we see faith at work. When we see people living obediently, humbly. When we see people living in mercy, seeking justice, showing love and grace to one another. Instead of trying to fight the fight, allow God, God to fight the fight by you living in relationship with him in deep and powerful intimacy that then leaks out in beautiful ways all over the world around you. And friends, I got to be honest, I see so many of you doing that already. And I praise God for that. I praise God for people like yourself who've started a school year, you're a teacher in a classroom, and you have decided that you are going to make Jesus clearly live out through you if you're in a Christian school, a public school, or even in a home school to your kids. You have decided that when you're on the floor at the hospital where you work, that you are going to bring Jesus into every relationship that you have with a patient through a smile, through encouragement, through, through mercy and tenderness. That's contending for the faith. And the beauty of that is that has way more power than me saying, you're wrong, Debbie. That doesn't work. Instead, for me to show Debbie love, and care, tenderness, concern. And the beauty of how Jude even completes this whole letter gives us an understanding of how he sees this truth at work in the world around him. The final verse, two verses is this. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to 
present you before his glorious presence without faith and with great joy. To you only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. How many of you have a heading on those particular two verses in your Bible? What's that heading? What does it say? Doxology. Now that's interesting. Because this is a letter. It's a book that's a letter. And letters do not close with doxologies usually in the text. In fact, if you go back to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, they do not close with a doxology. They enclose instead with a blessing. This is the only book in all the texts that closes with the doxology outside of Revelation. And this doxology makes it clear about how Jude sees this contending for the faith because he gives all glory to God. That's what a doxology is. Doxology is words that proclaim the greatness of God. And if our lives proclaim the greatness of God, that's where the power comes from. That's contending for the faith. That's showing the world the power, not of ourselves, our eloquence, our words, our ability to dispute and fight about things, but instead it shows this great and incredible God who loves us enough to give us His Son, Jesus. And Jesus lives a holy life that redeems us because He is without sin and yet is willing to sacrifice Himself for our sin. And we receive through that the beautiful gift of grace that gives our present reality all purpose and meaning and hope and life and a future that we can trust and know is a beautiful thing that God will give us for all eternity. And if we can live that out, that's contending. Now, there's one thing in this last, not the blessing, just before that, that I do want to take just a moment with and I want to close with this because I think it's a good question. How do you, how do we, how does the church handle doubt? Have any of you ever had doubts about Christianity? Almost all of you. I, my hand is up. And it's not, like, we're not talking even, like, years ago or decades ago. Sometimes we're talking about, like, Tuesday. Sometimes we're talking about, like, two or three times every day. God is this real. God is this Jesus thing that I've committed my life to, my vocation to, that I've lived into with my whole family. Is this real? And there are certainly times that are challenging in our lives that we can ask those questions in some pretty big ways. My guess is some of you are asking those questions even right now. Friends, it's important for us to understand that doubt is real and it is actually a part of walking with God because doubt requires something that God calls us towards over and over and over again. And that is faith. Faith is believing in something that you cannot see. Trusting in a promise that was given to you that you cannot know. You cannot, in that knowledge part, you know, the scientific brain that many of you have, the mathematical stuff where every column lines up and everything is equal and the scientific formula all works out and equals out. When we live in faith, it doesn't work that way. And so when the doubts come, not just for you and I, but for your friends your family, and those people around you 
who are wondering, can God be real? Is for us to be those people of faith. To give space for big questions. I hear them often. And I hear that there are people who want to have nailed down answers. I get it. I understand. There are certain brains that need that. They need evidence of who God is. But see, the biggest evidence that you and I can give is to those people who have doubts in our world and in our lives as we interact with them is to be people of love and grace. People who know we don't have all the answers because not all the answers can be known. But what we can be is this. We can be people who love aggressively even those who doubt. That we can show grace unconditionally to those people who reject even what we say, who Jesus is. We can, we can give them grace and say, God's not done with you yet. Jesus is present in your life. The Spirit is at work in you and we will trust that as God allows us to live in relationship with you in your doubt that that might have power to be a part of God's transforming work in you. Friends, doubt actually in our world continues to grow. It's hard sometimes, especially with the way that church acts and the evangelical community acts. It's sometimes hard for the world to look at us and say, boy, Jesus has marked you. The more that we can live with those marks of Jesus, love, grace, prayer in the Spirit, all the things that Jude is talking about here, the more we live into that, the more we can overwhelm people's doubt because we're showing them what faith is. Let's pray. Father, I know there are people in this room with doubt right now. And Lord, you have made a space for them to be with us this morning. Lord, speak to those hearts that have questions about who God is. Wondering whether or not you are real. Wondering whether or not this is all something worthy of giving a life for. Well, you claimed it was worthy to give a life for it. It's your life. Life of Christ. Lord, may that have power in all of our lives. May we be transformed by that power, your grace, your love for us, so that we can proclaim to those in this world who have doubt, who wonder who you are, that we can say, well, I'm not sure of all things, but here's what I know. He's transformed my life, and I want to show the world what that transformation looks like. Father, to that end, equip us. Equip us to be people who contend for the faith. That, Lord, we know we're not special or unique because of our work, but we are special and unique only through the grace of Jesus Christ, a free gift that you have given to us. Lord, empower us in this week ahead. We with our lives can proclaim who you are and thereby contend for the faith and the world that needs it so desperately. In Jesus we pray, amen.